Welcome to the Legally Sound Smart Business Show, your weekly look at legal news and questions in the business world. Here are your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Staub. All right, welcome to the podcast. My name is Nasser Pasha. And I'm Matt Staub. Well, usually two attorneys here with Pasha Law uh, practicing in California, Texas, New York, and Illinois, but we have a, a special surprise guest for, for this episode. Surprise? Yeah, we have our uh, third attorney at Pasha Law here, Karen McConville, and based out of the Bay Area in Northern California. And she is our business corporate attorney with a nice little twist of a, a legal background of immigration and criminal law, which is perfect for today's episode. Karen, welcome to our podcast. Thank you, Nasser. Thank you, Matt. So this is where, of course, we cover business in the news and add our legal twist. And today we are talking about ICE, not I was going to say ICE audits, but it's a little bit more deeper than that. I would say an ICE raid to your local business or your business. This is something that is kind of heating up, especially in the Bay Area, but pretty much across the country uh, with the, the new administration. Right. And we'll get into a couple of the specific stories that have really caught our eye here. But, you know, like you were saying, it's it's really with this new administration, the Trump administration, I'm, I'm sure people have seen a lot more of these instances in the news, and it's obviously adversely affecting businesses. And I, I want to be sympathetic to the fact that it's, you know, we, we're not just thinking about businesses necessarily, it obviously affects individuals' lives, but just understanding that, you know, the the bulk of today's discussion will be focused on now, from the employer's perspective, how you handle, you know, the these sort of issues when, you know, ICE comes knocking. It, it is kind of, you're right, though, it is, it is kind of delicate, a delicate subject. But the reality is, is that a lot of small businesses, a lot of large businesses depend upon a workforce that may be undocumented. And the impact on the economy, the liability of these employers is an issue that I think, uh, Many may not be aware in, in, in the sense that small businesses may not realize the liability they may incur if they are hiring undocumented workers. They also may not be aware what to do in the event that ICE comes and knock it. So, uh, so Karen, tell us. I mean, this is something that's going on in, in particular in the Bay Area, right? Yes, this is something that's happened quite recently. And you may have seen articles, seen the article where ICE hit 77 businesses in Northern California, and I, most of those were in San Francisco. Some of them were in Sacramento. But, you know, I had a, an employer call and say, you know, ICE is two blocks down from my work site. What should I do? Which is the reason why we're, we're talking about it today, because uh, our employers need to be advised on what they can do, what they can't do, and what, what they should do. And, and a lot of people would say, okay, it's the Bay Area. They're notoriously known as a sanctuary, uh, San Francisco in particular, a sanctuary city. Uh, California, I think, maybe even considered somewhat of a sanctuary state. I'm, I'm not sure if they've self-labeled that or otherwise. But the, it's not just limited to those areas. Uh, 7-Elevens across the nation, including here in, in Texas, have been also targeted for these raids. So it shows you this. Uh, it's, it's not just... The mom and pops, these 7-Elevens are also uh, have to deal with this issue as well. Right, right. And, you know, there was arrests that resulted from those 7-Eleven raids. So, there, you know, there's, there's two ways they're going in about it. It's uh, through the employer and then also through the use of detainers if they find anybody who's there illegal. So 
that that's kind of one of the avenues that brings us into the basis for these raids. And the raids in San Francisco, at least, uh, were based on the government's request from employers for I-9 audits, and that's something that we might want to talk about. Well, yeah, let's let's start there. Tell us about, um, first of all, what's an I-9, and what's an I-9 audit, and should employers be having to fill out these forms, or should they just skip them? So basically, whenever an employer takes on an employee, they they have to have them fill out an I-9 form. It's for all new employees, and they have to keep it for three years after hiring or one year after the worker's last day of work, whichever comes later. And if ICE comes in to an employer or does an audit, a Form I-9 audit, the employer has to produce these forms, and they only get three days to do it. And, and that's what happened here in San Francisco with the raids. They come in, they say, you know, there's your employees, where's our I-9 audits, we're going to have a look at them. And that's where the liability could attach for the employer. Yeah, and that's and this is something that, well, I'm sure many of the people listening to this have probably filled out before and just might not have been aware. I, I'm talking just from the you know, maybe from the employee perspective, but as an employer, I mean, oftentimes these, the, you know, the, the person that's running this might not, the CEO or president might not be the one who's necessarily aware of the requirement for this. And they delegate it to, you know, maybe even someone completely outside of the organization and it goes through that way. So it's almost an out of sight, out of mind thing for a lot of these businesses. I, I know it's a case for, for a lot of ones that we work with. But that's something obviously that needs to be kept in mind for for these employers because, like Karen was saying, I mean, there's there is a requirement to do it for new employees, uh, not only for completing the form but for retention as well. And employers can face some some harsh consequences if they do if an I nine audit does occur and they're not able to comply with the requests. And right, I, and uh, and the I nine audit's just one way that they might come in. You know, they might just as they've done here in California, is just conduct a raid without any warning, just as an investigation into an employer to see if they do have workers there who are not legally authorized to work in the United States. So that's, you know, another way you might not get the heads up, like you might just end up with ice on your job site. And and I think in the past, because I've I've heard this anecdotally either from colleagues or from clients where Sometimes I think maybe this happened in the past where ICE would actually kind of give you a early warning informally, hey, you know, we're we're going to raid your place in a couple of days. But the the aspect without warning, and that's a key point. I mean, imagine your business getting raided by any police presence whatsoever. And depending upon the industry you're in, the impact that may have on your reputation, on, you know, the disruption of the workplace, whether or not you have any undocumented workers uh, at your facility or not, it doesn't really matter at that point. So kind of understanding the sensitivities here is uh, is something that everyone needs to be aware of for sure. Yeah, and I, I think, I was going to say, I, you know, what, what Nasser just saying, I mean, with warning or without, it's, I think a, a lot of employers are, this is, it really hits their nerves and they, they get really anxious if they, obviously if there's with no notice, it's a completely different story. But even when they're maybe have some sort of warning or some sort of notice, uh, I, I would think a lot of employers are probably still going to get nervous about this sort of thing happening in the 
just wanting to make sure that they don't screw anything up, not only for themselves, but for their employees as well. Absolutely. Yeah, and it doesn't help that they only get three days to produce these forms because that's not a lot of time. If it's a big company like, uh, you know, the Reds and the 7-Elevens and Texas and the Reds and in California. Yeah, no doubt. And so, okay, so we talked about I-9 audits, of course, the ICE raids. Sometimes they're looking just for one specific person, and they may come on your work site for those particular reasons as well. But I think it's important to understand, and this is where having some basic knowledge and background of the law really comes in handy, because you may not be able to have the opportunity or have an attorney retained right away to be able to ask these questions if this, this you know, basically they start knocking on your door. And one of the big questions always when they come to your workplace is if they have a warrant and what kind of warrant it is. And this is where this is where Karen's perfect for this. I mean, she has a, her background in criminal law, which these, these aspects come um, become very relevant as well. So Karen, do you mind kind of explaining the differences between a judicial and an admin warrant and whether they need a warrant at all to come to uh, the workplace for this uh, kind of purpose? Right. Well, they don't need a warrant. They can come by your workplace. But the distinction really is whether they can enter into private areas of your workplace. It's just like if a, a robber is free from the bank and he goes into his house, can you know, can the cops go in without a warrant? Yeah, of course. Can immigration turn up and you know ask people who's in the public parking lot or uh, in the lobby of a building if they you know questions of course they can but they can't enter into private areas without what's called a judicial warrant and that's that's a very different thing a, a judicial warrant will look very different to the employer if ICE arrive with it it's, it's signed by a judge it will either say on it uh, this is a warrant from the U.S. District Court or it will say from the state court which in in this case would be the Superior Court of California and unless they have that, they can't come into the private areas of your business. It's, if they try to enter, uh, you can ask them to have a look at their warrant and you'll be able to see if it's a warrant signed by a judge or if it's just a, a detainer or administrative warrant issued by ICE. That, that makes a big difference. Uh, they have no authority to go beyond that. And if you ask them for it and they show you a judicial warrant, then you know you need to comply with that as an employer, and just to avoid any legal problems for the employer on their side. So it sounds like what might be a smart decision for employers in this situation is would be to to mark as much as much as they can as private um, to kind of do a precautionary way to you know <laughs> prevent information from being passed on that shouldn't be passed along. We should we should sell stickers that just say private and they could just, you know, stick it everywhere they can. No, but it's a it's a good point. Like where where do you draw the line between public and private? And I think uh, you know where I'm going with this uh, and you can kind of maybe give us some examples, but this is always an issue in criminal law as well. And sometimes it's obvious, but there may be some times that it may not be, but there's a lot of law and established practices to, especially in workplaces, what is typically considered private and versus public. And so, just keep in mind that some, you know, some specific uh, facts may apply to your case. But, but Karen, you know, do you have some examples to kind of give us, you know, whether it's a restaurant or even a job site in a con in, in the construction industry? 
Well, I think I find with, uh, the, in the construction industry, you know, there's a lot more areas that are public than there is private. Obviously, if you're in a homeowner's house or you're doing a job for a homeowner, you know, their residence is private. And the only place that ice could be publicly is, you know, at the front door, on the doorstep and nothing further than that. But when you get into commercial job sites, there's a lot more areas that are public. You know, the lobby of the building as you come into it, the elevator as you go up, you know, the adjoining hallways, the lunch break room, those sort of places are public and they can enter those. Obviously, if it's a private office with a closed door, that's a different story. That's a private area. You can easily mark those areas as private. So that makes that makes that a lot easier. But that's just some examples of, you know, the difference that you see where areas should be considered public and private. And that, that's a lot of common sense on the part of the employer as well as to, you know, what areas they can reasonably mark private and it'll withstand the, the ice coming in. Yeah, absolutely. And so I do want to talk a little bit about exactly, you know, when we say you, you don't need to help ICE if they have an administrative warrant versus a judicial warrant, and with judicial warrants when you have to comply, I think it is important that we don't want to create a situation where if a ICE officer wants is forcing their way in or what have you, you have to be very careful. You don't want to physically put yourself in danger, nor you should understand the balance between following the instructions of a officer that is has authority to give those instructions versus protecting your establishment and protecting your workers within your rights. So do you have any kind of guidance in, uh, in finding that line? Yeah, so, I mean, employers can protect their employees to a certain extent. I mean, they, the employers can tell them, you know, their rights are to stay silent and ask for an attorney whenever ICE come in. Um, and the employer can deny ICE access to certain areas protecting their workers. But if there is a judicial warrant, they do have to comply with it. And a lot of times ICE will turn up with officers from the local police department, which adds a lot of authority and can scare both employers and employees. And the, the one thing employers should let their employees know is, is to not go running uh, whenever ICE does turn up. You know, uh, that can be detrimental. Yeah. Uh, I can kind of imagine that scene of a bunch of workers leaving the establishment. <laughs> yeah, as, as soon as they see somebody with an ice badge, there'd be the tendency to run, but that will actually end up being worse for them. Yeah, I think that's a good reminder. So, okay, so so that's some guidance as to when they come knocking, but I think it, it's probably a good idea to have some preparation before this even occurs. I mean, uh, to have some level of training. And obviously this podcast will give you some broad outlines, but even meeting with your general counsel to give you specific guidance for your situation may be helpful as well. But what are some things as far as uh, employers should be doing in order to prepare for something like this? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, one of the things is to have obviously the I-9 forms in place within your employees as they come in. And they can also tell their employees that, um, that they don't have authority to give ICE entrance to the workplace. So they can simply have them educated to say, you know, talk to my employer. I do not have authority to let you enter. 
and, and again, as you said, tell them they don't have to answer questions. They don't need to sign anything. That's If it's an I-9 audit, that's on the employer. They do that. And I was, as I was saying, what happens if if they do run, the risk that comes from that is, say, ICE come and they don't have a warrant. Well, if your employee texts to the door when they do come, well, then they might have a basis to arrest them without a warrant. And and that comes from the, the criminal area of the law that would come into play here. There's some exceptions to to warrant requirements, and one of those would be the hot pursuit exception. And that's pretty much, uh, you know, if they run, then the police, they have a reason to think that something is afoot, and they can then arrest them without a warrant. They can chase them. They can go into private areas where they couldn't before. So that's something they should be aware of. Then there's there's also the stop and frisk, which is a, a case from a long time ago, 1968, actually. This one stands from where if the reasonable man uh, believes that something is afoot or that offense is going to be committed, uh, then they can stop that person and examine them uh, and ask them questions where they couldn't before without a warrant. It doesn't need to arise to the level of probable cause. If they just, if it looked like something is, is not right, then they can they can stop them and question them. So employers should try and avoid that for their employees by informing them. Don't run. So so it sounds like the worst thing that could happen would be an employee makes a break for it and runs and then immediately turns around and runs right back into where all the other employees are. That's probably worst case scenario because then it's putting everyone at risk. I just make a joke. Uh, You know, Nasser, this reminded me of, I, I can't remember what state it was in. I think it was in, was it in Utah? Perhaps the, you remember the nurse that got arrested for not following, well, according to the police, not following the police orders, but they had their own. This is kind of reminds me of that in the sense that the employee, from the employer's perspective, employee um, training or education is pretty key with this. I mean, this is a, this is probably going to be the scariest thing an employee would encounter if an ice if ice comes to the door and there's just an employee that's kind of the first point of contact but you know the to stay calm the training to stay calm and you know to say to basically say the things that Karen was just talking about i mean that's that's going to go a long way for these employers yeah that's a, that's a good example the the and Matt's referring to the nurse in Utah where i believe it was some i can't remember if it was just uh in the i think it was in the emergency department where a not even a suspect, a, a person that was involved in an accident uh, was unconscious and they wanted to take some a blood draw, I believe, or a blood, some kind of DNA sample. And the nurse said, well, the law Right, of- right. I know, I know the one you're talking about. It was a DUI and he wanted, the officer wanted the records and he didn't have a warrant for it. He didn't have probable cause at this stage. The guy was in an accident. He was unconscious and she stood her ground to him. And rightfully so. She did get arrested for obstruction of justice, but that charge was dropped. Very good example. And, you know, I was also, I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking the uptick in the number of raids, even if, you know, just the fact that we're talking about it, even if it may be exaggerated just from the media and so forth, because it's really, it's, I don't know if we have the statistics, because I tried finding whether we can actually see the, an objective way to see the kind of increase. 
the impact of this is pretty clear. It, it does put employers on notice that, look, if you're going to be engaging in the practice of hiring undocumented workers and not fulfilling these I-9s, you are running a greater risk than before. And politics aside, I do think that the objective, if the objective is for employers to be hesitant in hiring undocumented workers, it's, pro- it's, it's probably pretty effective. Right, right. And I think one of the ways employers should, should, or what the employers should take from these recent raids is, well, go back and look at their records. Do they have I-9 forms for the, all their employees? If they don't, they need to get them filled out and they need to have a practice going forward where it's immediate that they, they get these forms to new employees and they be filled out because the risk of an audit seems greater under the current administration and they have to be prepared for that. Yeah, those I-9s should be a part of the onboarding process, you know, just just like any other package when, you know, you, you go through a hiring, you have the offer letter or employment agreement, you have that acknowledgement of the employment manual and, a, and maybe a confidentiality agreement, and including in there, you have the I-9. And if all those things are not familiar to you because you don't do it at your, your, at your business, you may just want to just double check everything and maybe give us a call because those are pretty standard at most establishments. And if you have any number of employees, it, it should be standard in your business as well. So, okay, well, I think I think we covered it, guys, right? I mean, that's pretty nice uh, overview of, of what to do in, in pretty much a, a relatively scary situation if, um, if you're not familiar. Yeah, exactly. Definitely one of the more, like, I think I mentioned this earlier, but definitely going to be the mo- one of the more nerve wracking things an employer can encounter. So it's, uh, got to take this stuff seriously, regardless of where, where you're located as a, as a business. Unless you're not in the United States, then. Yeah, sorry. In, in the U S I shouldn't have specified that's, <laughs> that's the case. Well, very good. Well, Karen, thank you for joining us. We're we're looking forward to you joining us again on the podcast. But this subject was just too relevant to you for, to not <laughs> include you in the conversation. So, thank you for jo- thank you for doing this. No problem. My takeaway is don't run. <laughs> don't give a cop a chance to run after you. You can hide, but don't run. Right? Is that the hide, but don't run? Right. Hide in the private marked areas, but don't run for the exit. Got it. Okay. Got it. Okay. I mean, honestly, good advice for any sort of uh, encounter with with law enforcement. So uh, it's something for everyone here. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Okay. Very good. Well, thanks for joining us, everyone. Yep. Keep it sound and keep it smart. This has been the Legally Sound Smart Business Show with your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Staub. The Legally Sound Smart Business Show is your weekly look at legal news and questions in the business world. Legally Sound Smart Business is a podcast that is intended but not promised or guaranteed to be current, complete, or up-to-date, and should in no way be taken as an indication of future results. No attorney-client relationship is created by listening or submitting questions to the podcast. The podcast does not constitute legal advice, but rather is offered only for general informational and educational purposes. You should not act or rely on any information in the podcast without first seeking the advice of an attorney. The opinions expressed in the podcast reflect the views of those individuals and do not necessarily represent the views of any other individual or business. For more information about the Legally Sound Smart Business Show, visit LegallySoundSmartBusiness.com.